Welcome all. If you're hearing my voice right now, it means you're tuning into that podcast, a new podcast series shining a light on the tech and innovation space, which will feature guests from different walks of life, all on their own journeys, journeys that are entwined in the world of technology, innovation and culture. My name's Dan Lane and I'll be your host for our debut episode and joining me today is a digital futurist working in strategy and innovation who has worked for a series of brands across a range of sectors from sports to tech to social impact and sustainability. Originally from Germany, living in Amsterdam and joining me by the power of the internet I give to you, Felicitas Olszewski. So thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good, nice good. You. Thanks for having me. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. How do you feel being our, our first guest on this podcast? I feel good, but also I feel the pressure, I think, for setting <laughs> a benchmark, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, we expect it to be, the benchmark to be very high. So, But yeah, no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure your best will be definitely good enough. Um, okay, so we'll dive straight, straight in. I'm really keen to find out a bit more about you and your journey. So let's start right from the very beginning. Talk to me a bit about you, where you studied, where you grew up, just so we can get to know you a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Germany. I grew up in, in the south of Germany in a very uh, remote, beautiful and outdoorsy area. And um, I um, lived there, studied in Munich, uh, made my way to Berlin uh, before I moved over to Amsterdam, where I've been for almost uh, 10 years wow. uh, with a short stint in London in between. Um, and um, yeah, that's where I'm um, speaking to you from today as well, Amsterdam. Fantastic. So you've been in Amsterdam for 10 years? I've been in Amsterdam, yeah. Uh, in June, I believe it will be 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Originally, I planned to come only for a year, but uh, yeah, it's already 10. <laughs> Isn't that the case, though? You know, due to the nature of my work, I do speak to a lot of people that are based in Amsterdam, but weren't necessarily always based in Amsterdam. And it's there's something about that city that once you're there, it kind of wants to keep you, you know, because of the culture and, and everything else that's going on. What, what was the deciding factor for you to stay longer than you originally intended to? Yeah, it's a good point. I think Amsterdam is a really good base. I think the, the work-life balance is, is really nice. And um, especially, um, you know, in times when we were still able to travel more so <laughs> now, uh, it's a good hub, I think, to um, um, either for work or also um, it's, it's just an hour away, you know, to be uh, back home. And uh, I think the reason why I stayed so long or what also brought me back here is just the, the range of opportunities and the nature of Amsterdam. Um, I think the Netherlands in general, but Amsterdam in particular, have a very entrepreneurial um, yeah, sense to it. Yes. And um, there's a lot of um, a lot of big companies have their European headquarters here. There's a lot of talent here, particularly in the areas I think um, in uh, in digital tech, innovation, startups, um, and it's very international as well. So um, I think it's a it's a nice place to 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 yeah to hang out to to meet new people but also to build a career so it's, it's really a unique combination and i think that's uh, that's what kept me so long yeah fantastic you know what i've never actually heard a bad word said about amsterdam ever <laughs> that is true uh, actually no that's yeah that's true i think just when you maybe live in the in the center center uh, and you um you know you are confronted with a lot of tourists on yes the yeah. It may be great frustrations, but I agree. I think it's um, it's a very laid back and uh, just very easy city to live in. 
fantastic. Of course, once travel opens up a bit more, I'll be venturing over there <laughs> pretty much as yeah, soon as possible. Sure. It's amazing how, you know, things are so close in the grand scheme of things, just a, a very short plane ride away. But then as soon as something like what happened last year, you know, I don't really want to talk about COVID, so I won't. But um, as soon as something like that happens, it it removes the option to go and do it. And therefore, it kind of makes you want to do it even more. You know, yeah. it's yeah. such a strange thing. Um, so what about, so we're going to talk about work, obviously, um, pretty soon. But what about outside of work, um, maybe pre-COVID and during COVID? What sort of things do you do to occupy yourself, keep yourself entertained, hobbies? Yeah, so as it was brought up, you know, with um, with a lot of sports in an outdoorsy area, that sort of stuck with me. Um, I um, I played a lot of sports as a, as a kid, and um, now um, I think my most recent addition to the repertoire, if you so will, is cycling. I got into cycling oh, okay. early last year, which really has become um, a total refuge from you know the being locked indoors and um, the gyms closed, particularly this year during the, the pandemic. And other than that, um, I, um, I love to, uh, to travel. Um, me and my boyfriend, we travel for food quite a lot. And nice, nice. Combining, you know, curiosity and, 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 uh, and travel uh, with, yeah, you know, haute cuisine. Yes, <laughs> um, absolutely. We miss that a lot at the moment, um, oh, but it's imagine. also probably good for our budget. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't doesn't it just the 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 budget just goes up and up and up. You know, as you sample different places and then you try a new place and you try a new place and exactly. And every year, you know, there's a new uh, a new best restaurant in the world to try. So the list doesn't end. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So so that's and um, then on a, on a personal note as well, I'm. Um, I'm really passionate about fashion. I'm really interested in it. Um, I think I inherited from my grandma. And, um, and I'm really into sustainability. Um, I've been sort of into the topic for quite a while. Yeah. Um, you know, following the developments there, I think there's a lot, lot of opportunity and a lot to do. And uh, yeah, I'm just passionate to contribute, you know, to make a, a better version of the planet than it is today. And it's a really, it's a, it's a, I mean, obviously it's a great thing to be passionate about, but I also think that a lot of people more so now share that passion. I think at one point sustainability was one of those things that was wanted. Um, and as the years go by, it's more and more apparent that we need to be focusing on things like that. It's an, it's an absolute need. And that's why I think we see so many, you know, cool ideas popping up around sustainability. What can we change that's very normal from our daily lives and make a positive impact to you know reduce that carbon footprint from things like that so it's good that that's one of your um, passions because i think to have it as a personal passion is really really fantastic um you mentioned cycling have you ever used a peloton bike i do not own a peloton no um my neither do i <laughs> because because they're too expensive um but the the directors of my company they absolutely love their pelotons they they talk about them quite frequently i probably because i i've never been massive into cycling myself um but i when i do it i like it but i've never just found that um that habit where i've got into it but i think i would use a peloton if i spent that much money on one <laughs> but I, yeah, I hear people really love it. Um, I think here in the Netherlands, you know, it's so flat and uh, cycling is, is, is a common sport. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, 
especially now, you know, you just need the fresh air and get get out of the house. Um, but yeah, I, I do hear that it's really fun. So maybe if I would have a bigger apartment, that would be great. <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> um, so let's talk about two things, innovation and strategy. And these are um, things that are very close to your heart from a, a you know, professional perspective. Um, and obviously we've dipped into that. Actually, they're quite close to you from a personal perspective as well. So when it comes to innovation and your career and things like that, how do you how would one define innovation if to just to sum it up i think you know in an academic way you could argue uh, that innovation is somewhat like um, the successful exploitation of creativity right you're sort of like tapping into creative solutions and you you leverage them to come up with you know things that haven't been done before um, which I, as a creative person, can really relate to. Um, but I think essentially it's uh, to identify the areas sort of of white space that make up a unique proposition yeah, for a brand or a company that differentiate them in the marketplace um, and also provides new opportunities for them. And that's maybe a very broad uh, yeah, um, description of innovation, but I think Innovation oftentimes is very much mystified and, you know, there's a lot of buzz around around the word and and, and people work in innovation. Um, and I quite like the idea of innovation being democratized um, as well. Um, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity with, um, uh, you know, with, with everyday things that we see and that we could make better. And, you know, there's so much breeding ground for it. So um, I think to sum it up, um, there is, I think, you know, the common thread of, you know, leaving the future state in a better place than the now. Yes, and yeah. how you do it is, I think, up to, yeah, up to your idea. Fantastic. And so what led you down this path? What made you go into um, the realm of innovation and strategy? How did you end up where you are? Um, so I, um, I started my career working in, um, in marketing, creative and comms. And uh, at the time, we were working uh, with a lot of um, um, yeah, sport and tech brands, and we were doing a lot of social impact work for them. And that was really the point in my career where I wanted to understand that aspect better, um, where it was really not about um, you know, just um, greenwashing or whitewashing or another marketing campaign, but really fundamentally leveraging culture or um, you know social aspects sustainability aspects and technology uh, to create something new and I also understood that venturing into this field required a completely um, new understanding so I really wanted to approach this in the right way and um, that uh, led me essentially to undertake an executive MA um, in innovation strategy and management um, where it's really about uh, managing the entire innovation process. Um, so you understand from a business perspective what's required. You understand from a growth opportunity perspective of how to you know, structure the innovation process and um, how to also analyze and evaluate what could be potentially successful. And um, with, with a big chunk of design in there, you know, how, how also, also not, not only how to design the process, but also how to influence the outcome. And that really um, had been the switchboard for me. I think it's been one of the best decisions in my career to, to decide for that. Um, although at the time, you know, I was, I was doubting because I was already about 10 years into my career and um, 
you know, was, was wondering, okay, should I really make the jump? Um, is this really worth it? Am I not just, you know, too far ahead anyways? And then as yeah. a woman, you know, is, am I maybe losing time? So, um, but um, looking, looking back at it, it was, it was the best thing I've, I've done and a great decision I took. Fantastic. I think it's, it's actually really important because of, not just because of last year and what happened, and obviously we're still feeling the effects of COVID, but many people were forced into sometimes forced and other times by choice to actually look at their careers and think do i want to um, carry on doing what i'm doing or, or is it time really to assess everything in my life and figure out what i really want to do you know what makes me happy as a person now some people were made you know redundant from their companies so they had to find a new opportunity but they're still at this crossroads where it's do i do the thing i've been doing for such a long time or do I now venture into something that's a bit of the unknown, take the risk, but something that could ultimately make me a lot more happy and, you know, fulfill that sort of creative or or just that part of them that sort of been lingering for a bit? Absolutely. I get approached a lot by people, you know, um, who want to make a switch and by a lot of younger people who want to get into the industry and, um, you know, and who are sort of like, you know, looking at, the path I created and how they can, you know, recreate it or, or, you know, if they're not necessarily wanting to work in innovation, but just taking, you know, listening to your guts and, and, and making the jump, so to say, into, into something new. And um, I agree with you. I think particularly this year we saw, you know, that people uh, internalized, you know, the external situation of what's going on in the world and really asked themselves, what, what do I really want to do? You know, what do I really want to spend my time on? And um, you see a lot of people, you know, listening to uh, their inner compass and uh, starting their own thing or, you know, switching into a different career field or taking a time out as well. So I think that's, um, that's uh, it's a really good uh, cultural thing that's, that's going on because essentially it will make people happier, you know, to do what they truly want and love. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it is, you mentioned that timeout. I think some people were put on um, furlough in the UK where they're just, they're getting essentially paid, but they're not at work um, for the yeah. most part. And I think for a lot of people, it probably gave them that mental break and that time to just really mm -hmm. think about what they want. Yeah, and it might be that, you know, at the end of it, they, they, they thought, yeah, I still want what I do, which is, which is brilliant. But for, for some, and evidently now a lot of people, that, that realisation moment happened within that time out, that breathing space where they could really just sit and assess and analyse everything. Absolutely. Good stuff. So um, you did, you, you pivoted, you switched careers. It's still within the realm of creativity. What is it that inspires you most about what you what you do? So um, I think I'm someone who's very curious and inherently passionate about learning. Um, a philomath type who uh, you know wants to explore and and develop themselves, but also new things. And I think that's a trait to have in sort of the fields of strategy, innovation, or you know any type of like opportunity, business development. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I'm also someone who likes to set a vision and gives direction and as a result of that sees tangible outcomes and impact. Um, that's really what sort of, um, you know, gets me excited to see the impact of things that we're putting into, into place. 
And I think the other the other important aspect of it is the people, the people uh, you work with, uh, the people that you encounter on different projects. Um, that sort of venture with you into these new opportunities and that inspire you as well, you know, through their diverse opinions um, and contributions. And that really adds up for me to the spirit of creating as well. And I think that's essentially what um, has been a red thread through my career and speak to me as a, as a person, um, but which just comes to a, yeah, a new expression in, in the field of, of strategy innovation work that I do now. Fantastic. I mean, have you, have you always been a creative thinker or have you found that that's changed from, do you know, do you know what I mean? Because I've changed over the years, but I'm just curious to yeah. see whether you have. I think, I've, I think I've had always sort of left brain, right brain um, approach to things. Um, I'm, yeah, I am someone who's, who's uh, essentially maybe, you know, to be best described on the, on actually on the, the border between strategy and creative if there's such thing at all um, <laughs> so i can tap into an analytical uh mindset um you know whilst really sort of using creativity as a way to solve problems yes yeah and even using that in fields you know where i may be less um less trained in uh, than others um and uh, bringing that mindset just to you know uh, solve even more complex more complex business problems um and uh i think that's yeah that is that is in my that's in my personality in my nature and i use it as a force to you know to drive things forward uh to to get things going and essentially to solve things as well yeah when you're stuck absolutely uh, I've, I've seen bits of this myself only on a very small level but i used to be a very logical thinker and probably for the vast majority of my life i was very logical and then when I sort of hit 28, 29, so my late 20s, I started being a, a lot more creative with things. So or I was also more drawn to creative processes or just and, and very a lot more artistic things. You know, I just found them a lot more visually appealing and stimulating. And it was really weird how it sort of switched. But I, I now use that sort of legacy logic part and merge it with creativity whenever possible just to mix mix things up and see what different outcomes you get it's uh it's quite good to be able to merge the two so i, I can i can definitely see where you're coming from on that one so what sort of thing say for example someone's um looking to evolve their their existing product service or maybe they've just got an idea what sort of advice would you give to someone surrounding the strategy and the innovation side of things to make their design or their product or their service or their idea a bit more achievable? Um, yeah, I think it goes back to um, the aspect of um, you know not not being afraid um, and uh, failing in a really quick way. I think what really helps is to soundboard your ideas early and often. Um, I personally believe innovation doesn't happen in isolation. Um, of course, you know, if you're working on something that has a potential ex uh, exponential way of changing something, right? So really unique business proposition or whatever it is um, to also to your personal brand related. Um, you have to find people that you trust, of course, and where you can keep, you know, a certain aspect of confidentiality. 
um, but I really think it helps to give you perspective and make the right choice and decisions. Um, and also, I think try to just anticipate, you know, what what is the uh, what's the problem that you're sort of trying to change, and how do you, based on your idea, envision the future state to be, and why is your idea or solution influencing that? Um, I think that's uh, that's that's the key question. Uh, that you um, that you should ask yourself uh, when you're sort of like uh, you know trying to develop something and also accept that there's always a certain amount of iteration um, it won't be perfect the first time around uh, there's maybe something in the approach um, that you that you learn or that you take away from that you insert then into the next stage of of, of you know your idea um, and it might also evolve over time or come back. Um, you might need a bit of patience as well. Um, so that's, I think, the, the sort of like key learnings, you know, and I'm not, not always good in all of them. So <laughs> when it comes to patience, <laughs> um, but, um, I think these are, you know, when you're, when you're an innovator, you want to, you want to see things change and you want to understand, um, you know, if something works, particularly, you know, when, when I work with with engineers in the past, um, just to to see how they're seeking for the truth um, by doing a lot of testing, for example, uh, it fascinated me because that is, um, yeah, I think you know that was such an analytical way of how to go around improving, you know, your product or service as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's a combination of those, I'd say. Fantastic. So I'm gonna play with you i think called the innovation game so i've just got right. a few ideas now these i'm not professing that these are game-changing ideas but i just fancied your take on on just a couple of products and ideas that i've thought of now these aren't in development i must stress these are <laughs> these are just just ideas so not yet okay. <laughs> not yeah not yet the someone listening might pick these up as an idea but the first thing as um video conferencing and you know, video blogs are becoming more popular. A lot of people are using ring lights to give them better lighting, but often those ring lights, they kind of get in the way of your workstation, your laptop, your computer. So I've made a thing called the laptop light sticker. And this essentially just wraps around your screen, but it emits the same amount of light and energy as a ring light would. Do you think that would work? In fact, I'm using one of those ring lights right now. Are you? And uh, looking at it, I was like immediately transmitted to into the you know user perspective, <laughs> and uh, I can see the problem. Also, the cables around it, you know, that's yeah. my view. Um, so I think that could te definitely work. Um, I'd be interested to see what the power of your LED is because I can see that you know during an eight-hour or longer workday, um, that can definitely decrease in uh, in electricity. Right, we'll, we'll work on that. That's one thing I'll take away from that then. Um, the next thing is um, a selfie drone. So selfies are super popular. People love taking photos of themselves. Um, and what this idea is, it's a very small drone that carries your phone. <laughs> carries your phone. This is a serious idea. <laughs> It carries your phone in front of you and your friends and it takes photos from cool heights but it's it's not designed for the the pro drone owner it's designed for your your normal consumer that just likes to take selfies what do you think about that one 
when you started with the idea, I imagined it to be really creepy. Um, but <laughs> you went on. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, what if I uh, you know, lose my phone? Um, but I can see how, you know, people use that, um, you know, particularly, for example, if they hike up a mountain and uh, yeah. they want to take, you know, some, some nice aerial shots. Um, I, can, I can see that, you know, your personal mini drone that you don't have to put into like a big, you know, case to carry up and, and then, you know, bring out the whole set to install it. Um, so... Yeah, I'd say, you know, do some do some user testing, see how it works. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's the answer I wanted because that was one of my favorite ideas, to be honest with you, because I've been thinking about buying a drone recently. Um, and I've got a no... demo if you do. I'd be well, curious. To I, I absolutely will. <laughs> That's probably what I'll end up doing. Um, but I've never used a drone before and I've got no real reason to buy one. I just think they're really cool. So <laughs> yeah. I'm only going to buy a cheap one at first and we'll see how we get on. So my my last idea, which is my personal favourite, but is, is probably quite ridiculous, is so we've always got our phones on us and we're always looking at ways to find, to make things wireless, etc. But this is a bit of a meeting of the two. So it's an idea that's about potentially using everyday things and the power source is your phone. So I'll, I'll give you an example. A kitchen whisk that would normally be manual is now electric because it can plug in to the bottom of your phone. So, but, but don't judge me yet because the kitchen whisk is just one example. The other example <laughs> was um, um, shavers for your face, not your face, but you know, faces in general, or um, I mean, it could be anything really, anything that just needs a small bit of power and you're not yeah. quite close to a power outlet what do you think about something like that utilizing our mobiles to give things a bit more power yeah to i like it if you have a good mobile that has um you know still a good battery life um i think it could be cool i think you could really tap into the business opportunity of lazy people um which i am <laughs> which you totally would <laughs> and um <laughs> <laughs> we just, you know, with the, I mean, you could even be on your phone, you know, while whisking your whatever it is better. Exactly. You could be watching the recipe for the cake you're making on your phone whilst your phone is, in fact, powering the whisk. And then, you know, your battery dies and just in the middle of when you wait for the next step, you're stuck with your battery. <laughs> yeah, I need to think about that one. I need to think about the power solution, really. But my idea was that it would just give you a sort of five minutes of a boost in something that you're nowhere near a power outlet maybe for outdoors yeah, use like a, like a mini uh, van when you're in this in the summer working indoors exactly exactly the the opportunities are yeah, yeah i think you need to uh look at your your battery strategy <laughs> well that's but, you know that's something I'm, ho I'm hoping gets um a lot more um powerful in the future is mobile battery technology because yeah. you know if you're anything like me your phone's either on charge for most of the day if you just buy your laptop and which is no good for the batteries I, I know that but or I don't think anyone really who uses their phone a lot ever gets a full day out of a, a single charge so yeah. that's one area I'm really hoping sort of picks the game up pretty soon what sort of areas would you be which which sort of areas would you forecast are 
looking to innovate a lot more over the next coming years? I think um, the global pandemic has really fast forwarded certain aspects of the world by, you know, at least 10 years. And so, as mentioned earlier, I think it made clear to people what really matters in life and what's essential. Yeah. And you will probably see a lot of innovation coming out of this because usually when a big crisis happens or a big problem, you know, is there, there's a lot of opportunity and release afterwards. Um, and with that said, you know, I think we're looking probably to innovation in essential places that relate to your immediate well-being and to those, you know, that you love. So I think we see probably a lot of uh, innovation in, in health, healthcare and telemedicine. So, you know, not necessarily needing to go physically to, to your doctor, but having remote appointments, doing a lot via video calls, you know, just quickly identifying whether something you know that you have or uh, that's up whether you know it's it's something to get treatment for um, and at the same time I think you know speaking of healthcare, I think there's a lot of innovation happening in insurance as well um, in particularly I think in in countries you know where insurance system aren't as accessible or very expensive and I think digitalization there helps to um, you know really break new ground um, I also think that as people are stuck more indoor, you know, we'll see the home and home improvement market uh, explode. Um, I think people spend much more time about either how they can just renovate, um, but also I think how to just upgrade, you know, their whole home entertainment system or sound experience. Um, so I think the connected home and, and home will be an area where we'll see changes uh, moving forward. Um, then I think, um, you know, a lot of small businesses were forced to switch online um, because obviously, you know, with stores being closed, um, there's, uh, yeah, e-commerce, you know, the way to survive. And um, I think in the future, you know, with um, platforms, um, you know, social platforms um, exploding that drive really algorithmic commerce, I think we'll see a lot happening in, in the marketplace situation. So I also think, you know, the big sort of players probably will get bigger because they also benefit, you know, from, from the situation as everybody buys and orders online. But at the same time, I think we will become a combination of sort of content and social and shopping. I think there's going to be probably some, some areas there. And then I think the last one, you know, going back to, to my passion earlier, um, in sustainability, I think with, you know, the political landscape changing in the US and the US re-entering the Paris Agreement, um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an important um, sign as well, you know, of such a big um, economic nation to, to re-enter that pledge. And I think that we will see um, in sustainability, you know, hopefully a few breakthroughs in the, in the coming years in various sectors. Wow. So you fork, that's all, everything you've said, it all sounds like really super positive stuff. And I think, you know, the first thing you mentioned was in that sort of med tech realm and, you know, video conferencing with, with your doctor's surgery was probably something that you could have never imagined would happen unless their hands were absolutely forced, which they were. And it was actually really surprisingly quick um, how sort of my local um, doctor's surgery, my GP, sort of switched that on and vets <laughs> vets as well i remember having a conference early in a conference i have like a video call with our, our vet quite early on in our first lockdown um, and it was all done by video and it's just these things that 
are actually a bit of an inconvenience sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the, the, the whole COVID thing kind of forced people's hands to innovate a lot quicker and deliver them what might have come down the road, but it might have been years away before they'd even have explored that if their hands weren't forced. So it's yeah. uh, all that sounds absolutely fascinating. So what sort of thing um, do you wish you'd have maybe known at the beginning of your career if you could go back in time and sort of say don't do this or do do this or what sort of thing what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time that's a good question um i think one aspect is um that it's okay to say no to get a yes um i think particularly when you're younger or early on in your career you know you do everything to sort of um succeed you know you take on a lot of work or you are you know proactively driving things which i think is, is all good things but it's, i think really important to understand um you know as you progress in your career when to you know when a no is actually the right way forward to unlock a lot of things and um, so i think that's something that you learn with experience yes um, definitely and i think the other one is to consider your career um really as pockets of different experiences if, if i may say so you know, whether you're thinking about making a cross-functional move, um, I think no pivot is too big and knowing when to move on is something that I think you have to sort of find out and, and learn for yourself. Um, but also at the same time, you know, um, I personally think, you know, developing a good personal brand is, is really important, you know, so people know what you, what you represent, what you stand for, what you want to do. Um, and, uh, and the last point I think is about mentors. I think really seek good mentors around you. They they don't always have to be superiors or you know more experienced people. I think I learn a lot from people that are, you know, more more curious, more naive, more more you know younger, more inexperienced um, than myself. So I think that's really you know stay open to the inputs that you get from from others. Um, and um, I think that's a, that's something that uh, maybe. Um, Maybe over the years, yeah, you you sort of reflect back and then you actually notice, you know, who your mentors were and that that was a really good thing that you sort of brought into your into your life. It's such yeah. a good point about, about mentorship. And yeah. I, I couldn't echo any more so than what you've just said about it. It's actually in hindsight that sometimes you see who your mentors mentors were. You don't actually see it at the time sometimes. Don't get me wrong. There are some brilliant mentorship programs where you know exactly who your mentor is and therefore they help you. I think the good thing about a mentorship is actually it's a two-way street, isn't it? You know, um, person A mentors person B, but at the same time, it's without realizing it or without it being official, person B is also mentoring person A because it's asking them to to test their knowledge and be able to pass on that advice and, 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 and help them. But you, of course, whenever you help someone with something, you really have to think about the advice that you're giving or the, the path that you're showing somebody because it's not your path. If they, you know, it's, it's theirs now and you have to make sure you're giving the best advice, you know, same goes for training and coaching and things like that. You have to really double down and think hard about the advice you're giving out. Um, some, yeah, I agree. And especially with, I think, training also how you incorporate it into your daily practice, um, which I think is something, you know, that has to do with building habit. And um, to some people, it comes more naturally than others. 
Um, but I agree, it's uh, it's mostly the post-reflection where you're then identifying who was actually you know, part of your development and brought you further, yeah. Perfect. And I think that kind of brings us to the to the end of this podcast today. Um, is there anywhere that you'd like listeners to this to maybe find you, to be able to connect with you? Now's a good time to maybe plug your social media or whatever you fancy. You don't have to, of course, but it's completely up to you. I think people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's uh, that's the place where you'll uh, where we can connect. Fantastic. That's where we connected. So that's, that's where we thing. connected. Very <laughs> where well, the we'll, podcast started. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, okay. I'm so happy you joined me today. Thank you so much. It's been such a lovely conversation and loads of brilliant and very practical advice where people can take away um, whichever bits they want, but I'm sure there's something in there for, for pretty much everyone. So thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to the thank next time we speak. Me. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Yes, thank you. See Bye you. for now. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. And that is episode one in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you don't miss out on future episodes of that podcast by hitting subscribe and staying tuned. This podcast was brought to you by That Recruitment Company. If you are a tech company based in the Netherlands or Germany, That Recruitment Company wants to hear from you. Whether you're a startup looking to grow, a scale-up ready to dominate, or a multinational in need of the best talent, TRC have got you covered. Or if you are one of life's tech superstars looking for a new opportunity to expand your growth and find your dream job, please get in touch. Visit www.thatrecruitmentcompany.com, drop an email to info at thatrecruitmentcompany.com or search for That Recruitment Company on LinkedIn and connect with the team. I'll catch you next time.